reading is from Acts, uh, Acts 8, verses 26 to 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptised? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptised him. And when they come up, came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Uh, thank you, Tanya. I really appreciate that. Uh, it'd be really good if you keep your Bible open there at Acts 8. Um, for those who are joining us, particularly for Hub uh, people this morning, uh, at South Barwon we have been making our way through this book um, for the last number of months, and particularly during this time uh, that we've been socially or physically distanced from each other. And really we've been looking at under the theme that is spelled out in the first eight verses of the book, that it's, it's the ongoing work, the doing and teaching of Jesus uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit through the witness of the church. And so this is the kind of framework that we've been understanding it. And every passage that we read, every part of it is, is really helping spell that out, what Jesus continues to do and teach um, in this world by the power of the Holy Spirit through the witness of the church. Uh, hopefully everybody received a sermon outline um, with the email that went out this week and that help, might help you follow on. There's some discussion questions there. So in your growth groups, in your family, in a conversation with somebody else, um, or even just by yourself, you might be able to work through some of those questions to, to think about some more applications out of the sermon. Uh, there's a kid sheet that went out as well. And kids, hopefully this helps you follow along uh, with where we're going today. Before we dive in, let's uh, just pray again. Lord God, we thank you that we have your word, and we thank you that you are the God who speaks to us in this word. Uh, we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would speak to us today by the power of the Holy Spirit, and that you would transform us, you would renew us, you would change us for your purposes and for your glory. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many of you will have heard of the origins of the marathon. That long race over 26.2 miles or 42.2 kilometers. Um, it comes from Greek, Greek legend at the time when Greece had just won a major battle over the Persian army near the town of Marathon. So keen were they, so anxious were they to get news uh, back to Athens that they dispatched a runner whose name was Thetopides. And his job was to bring the good news of the victory to the waiting people, in particular to the waiting leaders. Legend has it was that he ran all of the way, this 26.2 miles, this 42.2 kilometers, announced the victory and then dropped dead. And if there was ever a good argument against running marathons, uh, that would be it. This was good news, great news, good news of a victory and good news that needed to be told. Now, in many ways, this is the heart of the book of Acts. Good news of a great victory. Good news that has to be told. It's the good news of the victory of Jesus for his people, for his kingdom, and the life that comes in his name. It's the center of this book, and it's the center of this passage here as well. Now, last week, we started looking at the ministry of Philip. And particularly, we looked at his role in bringing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to the people of Samaria. And we saw that this was, in many ways, a new chapter, a new phase, a new beginning in the ongoing ministry of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit through the church. It's a new chapter because the gospel was coming to Samaritans. And God's promise of restoring his scattered people from the corners of the earth was beginning to be fulfilled. His new humanity, made up of many different people, was starting to come together. Well, today we continue looking at this ministry of Philip. But this time, it's not mass preaching. It's not signs and wonders and evangelism to a large crowd. This time, we find Philip engaged in one-to-one personal evangelism, sharing about Jesus with this very interesting character, a eunuch from Ethiopia. And I want to suggest that, like this first marathon runner, Philip is doing what is right for such great news. And this morning, I really want to focus on two things out of this passage. The first one, why it is such good news. And for that, we're going to focus particularly on the Ethiopian eunuch. And then secondly, why it is such good news that needs to be told. And for that, we're going to focus on the ministry of Philip. So let's start then with this Ethiopian eunuch, whom we're introduced to in verses 27 and 28. And for such a short passage, and for just a couple of short verses, 
we know an awful lot about this man. In fact, we might even know more about him than we do about Philip. We know that he comes from Ethiopia. Uh, this is from the southern part of Egypt, a region that was uh, also known as Cush, a place that was regarded as kind of the ends of the earth. We also know that he had quite a high position there. If you have a look, it says he's a, a court official of Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, and he's in charge of her treasury. It's a trusted position and it's a position of power. The very fact that he's able to undertake this long journey to Jerusalem and back and in a chariot kind of supports that a little bit more. We also know that he's been to Jerusalem and he's now returning home and he went to Jerusalem to worship. This makes him very interesting. He's, he's not Jewish and he's most likely not a convert to Judaism and we'll see why in a moment. It's most probable that he fits into this category of people who were known as, who are called God-fearers. They were attracted to Judaism. They were attracted to the God of Israel. They engaged in some of it, but they were not able to or not wanting to become fully committed and convert. But with all of this, there is one thing that is really highlighted. The fact that he is a eunuch. He was probably made that way so that he could serve in the palace of the queen. Now, how is this highlighted? Well, there's four more times in this passage that he is referred to. And each time he's called not an Ethiopian, not a court official, not a God-fearer, but he's simply called the eunuch. Now, why is this important? It's interesting, but why is it important? It almost feels insensitive or rude that Luke keeps referring to him this way. Well, there's something really important here. There's some important Old Testament background to this. You see, in the Old Testament, and particularly in Deuteronomy chapter 21, God had forbidden eunuchs from participating in the temple. In fact, from participating in any gathering of Israel. They were considered to be outcasts. And so even though he's been to Jerusalem, and even though he's reading his Bible now, he's not really part of things. And he never can be. He's not part of the family. He's an outcast and he seems unwanted. For now when we're introduced to him, we find him in his chariot reading from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 53, which speaks about a, a lamb led to the slaughter, uh, a one whose life who's taken away from him. And as he's going along in the chariot and he's reading out loud, which is, is what, how they did it then, he hears this voice. Oi, you in there. Maybe, maybe Philip didn't quite say it like that. And it's probably an Aramaic expression. Hey, dude, uh, do you understand what you are reading? Well, how can I, he says, unless someone explains it to me. 
And so into his chariot jumps this man, this, this Jewish man, this guy who should know his Bible. And so he gets to ask him a question. Who's this prophet talking about? <coughs> Is it about himself? Is it about Israel? Is it someone else? Now, that's a good question, actually. It was actually a question that was under debate at the time. Who is the servant that Isaiah speaks about? Is it Isaiah? Is it Israel? Is it someone else? Well, from there, Philip gives him the answer. And it's neither Isaiah, nor is it Israel. This is not good news about a prophet or good news about Israel. From there, he tells him the good news about Jesus. The very one that Isaiah was talking about, a lamb led to the slaughter, an innocent man whose life was taken away from him. Well, now in the story, we get to jump forward a little bit. And Philip and the eunuch go past some water. And it's here, down in verse 20, 36, that the eunuch asks a question, and it's a loaded question. What prevents me from being baptised? See, up until this point... His life had been marked by what prevents him. Something ex made him excluded. Something prevented him from the temple and from God. But now something has changed. The good news about Jesus is not just good news for the whole. It's not just good news for the good. Is not just good news for the accepted or the popular or the have it all togethers. It's good news for the outcast. You see, a couple of chapters on in Isaiah, and, and maybe if you've, you've got your Bible, you want to flick there with me. Uh, in Isaiah 56, three chapters later from where they were reading to start with, and maybe Philip went here in terms of uh, explaining the gospel. God makes this incredible promise. Isaiah chapter 56, and we're going to start reading at verse 3. And he says, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, to choo who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name, better than sons or daughters. I will give them an everlasting name and they shall never be cut off. You see, these two things, the, the suffering servant and this incredible promise, they are linked 
in Jesus. It's Jesus who has made this acceptance possible. It's Jesus who now includes the excluded. He brings in those who were cast out. Those who didn't have a place have a place with Jesus. You see, this exclusion that was experienced by the eunuch was a symptom and a reminder of a deeper problem. And not just with some people, and not just in physical, but with every single one of us, and with every single heart. Our problem is that we have rebellious hearts and live lives away from God. Our problem is that we desire to be God in God's place. And the brokenness of humanity is just a result of that rebellion. But Jesus is good news for the broken. And he's good news for the outcast. Because he has dealt with the curse and he's dealt with sin. He's given new hearts to people who trust in him. He's brought in those who were previously cast out. What prevents him, he asks. And the truth is that there is nothing. In Jesus, there is nothing preventing us. This man may never have his own family but he has a new family now in Christ. He will never have his own sons and daughters, but God will give him a better name and an everlasting name in his house. He may not have his own children, but from now on he will be a child of the Most High God. How often would we find Jesus in his earthly ministry hanging out with the have-nots and the outcasts? He associated with the sinners and the tax collectors, with women of ill repute, of poor people, sick people, grieving people, morally corrupt people, the ones that the world so often rejects. He accepted He's good news for the outcast. And he's still good news for the outcast today. We live in a world that loves to tell us that we're not good enough, that we don't match up, that we need to try a little harder. We live in a society that loves to look down on people, the homeless, the unemployed, those with mental illness, the single, the childless, the ones who suffer long-term, the righteous. It loves to make outcasts of people that, it does, that don't fit in. And sadly, there are times when the church has played along and fostered this as well. 
but this is not the way of our Saviour and of our King, who broke down every barrier, who made it possible for everyone who repents and believes to find a family, to find a place with him. It could be this morning that you feel like an outcast, feel like a have-not, a not-in, a sinner, a person with a checkered past, a person with an uncertain future. In one way or another, maybe all of us fit into one of these categories. Our Jesus, our Saviour, is good news for us. In him we are invited. In him we have a new Saviour. In him we have a people to love us and to share the good news to us. The world may let us down. The church may have even let us down. But our Saviour doesn't, and he never will. In fact, he promises that we will never be cut off from him and from his people. And that's how the story ends. It's kind of abrupt. Philip is, is carried away by the Spirit. Uh, the eunuch leaves, and we don't know for sure what happened. Maybe history suggests that he became the first evangelist to Africa. But what we do know for certain is that he went on his way rejoicing with a heart made glad because he's in the family of God now and forever. Why is this good news? Well, it's good news for the outcast. We're going to go back now and we want to focus our attention on Philip and we're going to just spend a little bit of time here because because this passage is important for another reason. This is the first instance that we have in the book of Acts and one of the few that we have throughout the book of personal one-to-one evangelism. We know that it was happening often at the start of chapter 8. We were told that as the people were scattered because of persecution, they went on their way preaching, sharing, telling the good news about Jesus. We know that the apostles were active publicly and privately in people's homes. And here we find Philip, one-on-one, sharing the good news. Before we look at what he did, I want to just briefly look at why. Why he shared this in the way that he did. And this is really where these two points, they, they, they link together. He shared it because it is good news for outcasts. He shared it because it means that the broken and the sinful and the lost and the alone and the hurting can find a place in the family of God. He shared it because Jesus has stood in the gap and given access to this new life. That is why it is good news to be shared. You see, why did our first marathon runner run himself into the ground, literally, because the good news itself compelled him to do it. Why does Philip respond to God's leading? Why does he take this bold step of getting into the chariot of a foreigner? 
Why does he share the good news with someone he had never thought of associating before? Because it is good news for all who hear it and all who respond to it. So what does Philip do? Well, three things, just very briefly, I want to notice that, that, that we see going on here. Firstly, we see that he responds, but this is the work of the Spirit leading him. It starts there right at the start with, it's an angel of the Lord who says to Philip, rise and go south, go down to that desert road. At the end of it, we read that it's the Spirit who then takes him away. He finds himself in a different place. And it's the Spirit who tells him to go to the chariot and go and speak. And you notice the way that it records him speaking there. Uh, in verse 35, it says that, that Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told them, and it, it's not explicit, but it sounds an awful like what, what Jesus promised, that he will give us the words to say by the Spirit. We keep coming back to this, but the big idea of the book of Acts is that it's the ongoing work of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And here we see how the Spirit leads the people of God, to share that good news with others. Yeah, see, I think many of us can, can relate to, to times where we've just felt this compulsion, uh, this urge, this need to talk to somebody, to, to, to phone somebody or, or go up to somebody. I, I've even experienced that just in the last week where I just I felt this need that I had to do something. Maybe you've had it on the train or you had it with friends. And we can't explain it. And sometimes it's not even until afterwards that we kind of realize it. But that's God leading us, prompting us, moving us by the Holy Spirit to call people, to speak to people, to start a conversation with somebody, to share something with somebody. And I think this particularly happens as we pray for it, as we look for it, and as we commit ourselves to being obedient to it. And that's the second thing I really want to highlight here, is that's Philip's obedience in this leading. His obedience in following the call of God to go to a desert road in the middle of the day where where who knows what's going to find there, maybe nothing. It's his obedience in running after a chariot following the prompting of the Spirit to call out to a foreigner. Why would he do that? Because he is being obedient to God. He's being obedient to the general call to be God's witnesses or witnesses for Jesus, and he's being obedient to the specific leading of the Holy Spirit. You see, along with the motive to see people respond to the good news is our call to be obedient to God as we seek to be his witnesses, share something about Jesus. Now, we're not all called to be evangelists. You know, we're not all gifted with the gift of evangelism, but every single one of us it's called to make disciples, called to share something of Jesus and his work. Now, it's not up to me to tell you 
when you have and when you have not obeyed God in this matter. And I can't tell when you move from one level to another. That is a matter between each of us and God. But I know that between myself and God, there are sins of omission when it comes to evangelism. Good things that God has called me to do and I haven't done. Things that I need to confess. Times when I did not obey him, I did not share. Life choices that I have made that mean I do not engage with people as I should. Now, church, this, this is not for us to be motivated by guilt. We're forgiven in Christ. We're washed clean. Praise God for that forgiveness. But because he loves us, because he forgives us, because we are washed clean by him, we want to be obedient, obedient even in this. And thirdly and finally, we're just going to wrap up here. Let's notice in his speaking, Philip's centrality of Jesus Christ. Notice that he starts with Isaiah 53 and he opens his mouth and he began with that scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Remember our definition of evangelism back from church camp, saying something about Jesus Christ and God's work through him. That's evangelism. Now, in many ways, it's, it's easier to get hung up on topics or to talk about topics whether it's the Bible's approach to different things or different religions or the way that the Christian views the world or Christian morality or Christian ethics. And these things might make great starting points. They might be great beginnings. But we need to move from there to say something about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit is leading us to do. That is where he is leading our conversations. This is what God has called us to be witnesses of. These are the opportunities that we pray for because it is the good news of Jesus Christ that is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord God, we thank you for the wonderful good news that we have. The wonderful good news of acceptance by you through Christ, of sins forgiven, of lives made whole again, of punishment taken and an eternity secure. We thank you, Lord, that you accept us in Christ. You give us an eternal family. You make us yours and yours alone. Lord God, please give us a growing heart and a growing passion to share this good news with others. Lord, forgive us for the times that we have kept this to ourselves. We have not followed your leading. We have disobeyed you. Lord God, please give us a great passion to see the lost saved, to be obedient to you, to see the gospel proclaimed. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.